Hello, is this Josh? Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing, sir? Not too bad, not too bad. You know, just hanging out and in the heat and fire and everything <laughs> else going on. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah, now you're out in California, so uh, is the fires near you at all? or? Yeah, they're about 40 miles away from us. Oh, man. Uh, I'm sure you keep a keen eye on that, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're in the city. We're in Sacramento, so it's not too too much of a worry. But, you know, sure. it, it stops us from being able to really go out and, you know, go for bike rides and stuff like that and kind of stay active outside, you know, which sucks. Yeah, that's that's kind of like Wisconsin with our winters. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing, nothing like fires, though. So uh, I guess it is the season, though. How, how's uh, quarantine treating you? They uh, loosen things up out there yet or? Not really. I mean, they did for like a week or two or something like that, but now it's pretty much back to where it was. You know, yeah. can't really go anywhere, do anything, all that kind of stuff. Stuff. Some stuff's open. Some restaurants are open, and some bars are open and stuff like that. But you have to you have to sit outside, and who really wants to sit outside in a hundred <laughs> degree heat? I'm like, <laughs> I, I guess that's the one thing here is the temperatures actually have been really nice, so sitting outside isn't too bad here, and uh, we don't get too many days like that around here. So. Uh, before it starts getting cold again <laughs> so you guys don't really um, get uh too bad humidity right uh in july for a while like for a week or two uh we've had it where it gets just like oppressive to where you walk outside your door and you feel like you're swimming um but usually it doesn't last that long maybe yeah. you know, a, a week or two at most uh at least in a couple of recent years, we do every uh, two, three years get like a major severe storm that just annihilates everything. But um. <laughs> I do not. I grew up. In, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia, and I do not miss the snow at all. So okay, yeah, you are familiar with uh, long, hard winters, then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't blame you going out to California then. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's. It's it's you know California has its. Northern Cal—I love Northern California just because mm-hmm. of the fact you know there's a lot we can do. You can you know there's a lot outside that you can do. Sure, it remind, it reminds me a lot of living in Pennsylvania and you know being able to go up the mountain and stuff like that. But you know it's starting to get to a point now where taxes are super high mm-hmm. and everything else and you know the state's on fire right now and it's just every, with everything going on. You know it's me me and my fiance Courtney we really thought about getting out of here and going back to the East Coast, but. We'll see. We'll see how things pan out. You know. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, they're they're making movies everywhere now, so you yeah. know you can definitely go to the East Coast or even here in the Midwest. Though, uh, yeah, you may want to go a little bit south so you avoid not as much uh, long winters. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, speaking of filmmaking, uh, you've got your new film, Where Sleeping Dogs Lie, which is uh, what I wanted to uh, you know shoot uh, talk to you about today a, a little bit and. Uh, you know, uh, just let people know about this film that uh, I had the pleasure of seeing a screener of, and uh, it impressed me quite a bit. Uh, so uh, why don't you, if you don't mind, I always like doing this with the directors, uh, if you could just give my listeners the uh, synopsis, in your words, of what Where Sleeping Dogs Lie is about. Sure. Um, Where Sleeping Dogs Lie is about two brothers and their best friend that end up getting into a heap of trouble. Basically, they um, attempt to go up into the mountains and rob a rich guy. Uh, 
and it kind of all just snowballs out of control at that point. Um, there are some other pieces to it, obviously, that keep the story driving forward um, and kind of get them into the trouble that they that they weren't expecting. But that's pretty much the gist of it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I what what caught me because uh, it's categorized as a crime action drama, uh, and especially for crime dramas, it's. Watching a lot of indie films, I find that it, it's sometimes tough to pull it off uh, and, and execute well because you, you get either like long expositions in that. But um, could you tell me, uh, what was your process with your approach to making Where Sleeping Dogs Live? Because uh, you move this uh, film through pretty quick. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it stays at a nice steady pace. Uh, was that a part of your in your planning, trying to make sure that the, you kept the pacing well? Uh, you know, what, what was the process with that? You know, it's funny. I... I... I like slow burns. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of a good slow, especially when it's crime sure. or um, <clears throat> something like Drive, mm-hmm. which you know is amazing, and I love how slow it is, but also how paced out it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like Neon Demon is another one that's similar yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I just I, I usually really like them, but. Mm-hmm. You know, what ended up happening with this thing and, you know, obviously it's an independent film. So it's one of those funny things where, you know, uh, you shoot and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot and you get it all in the can. And then we get back to editing and, um, you know, there's there's a whole scene that's missing that's like 15 minutes long because <laughs> it just I kept I kept going back to the scene and it just slowed down the pace of the movie. And I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, when I wrote it. Um, and I'm gonna jump all over the place here, probably. So no, that's, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> by all means, <laughs> by all means, I do that all the time. So don't worry. Um, but when I wrote it, it was like in my head, mm-hmm. I had these the, the all these conversations were supposed to move really slow, and it was supposed to be methodical. And what ended up happening after we cast it and started going through all the um, the 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 read throughs and stuff like that, it we started finding that there was actually a lot of comedy in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I was writing it, I, I didn't see that comedy, but when people read it, so like when my fiance read it, she's also one of the producers on it and did a bunch of work on it. Um, when she read it, she, she was laughing at some parts and, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, it's not supposed <laughs> to be funny, <laughs> but you know, I think that, I think that goes hand in hand with like the movies that I grew up with mm-hmm. though, to some degree and, um, and what have been, what, ha- what have inspired me over the years, you know, I mean, it's, and I'll, we can go into that later, but, um, you know, when I started seeing the comedy aspect mm-hmm. come out in it and how quick some of the scenes came together, um, it, I was trying to, in editing, I was trying to ebb and flow it, right? So I was mm-hmm. trying to make it to where it was, you'd have something really quick happen and it would be gruesome and, and in your face and aggressive, but then I wanted to slow that pace down and really try and focus in on the suspense that's supposed to be happening here too and like the thriller aspect of it. Um so it was just kind of a game of chess, I think, in some ways, when I was editing it, mm-hmm. and having multiple people watch it over and over and over and over and over and over again and tell me what wasn't working, what was working, um, you know, not having the ability to be able to pull in, you know, critics and things like that at the time to really take a look at it and really give good feedback. It was really relying on just friends mm-hmm. and some of the, some other filmmakers and stuff like that to come in and and really help me through that process. And. I- 
uh, you can tell that actually uh, pays off because I know I've run across some indie films to where you're watching it going, man, this this is enjoyable, but they really needed someone to watch this to tell them what to cut out. <laughs> so it, uh, I, I like to hear that, that uh, you, you had a lot of people watch it because some filmmakers don't. I mean, it's very personal. You know, I, I met, you know, the project's personal to you and that. And so uh, it's tough to give that to someone else and then get that you know, constructive feedback, <laughs> because I'm sure you, you, you want to put so much more into it, but uh, I guess it's what the viewers want, uh, you know, more so than maybe what you want. Is that, did you have to make some tough editing choices then when you were doing that? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it was, there were definitely some scenes and some shots and things like that, that mm-hmm. um, I, I definitely held my ground and I was like, look, I, I, I'm not getting rid of this. This is not happening. Like, I don't, and off the top of my head, I don't remember what those scenes were, what those mm-hmm. shots were anymore, because it was a while ago. But okay. it was, you know, there's definitely that give and take that has to happen there, and you have to do it. In, you know, especially if you're if you're the director and the writer, and you're editing it too, mm-hmm. which I would never put on anybody. <laughs> um, there are definitely you really have to make some some hard choices with yourself, right? Uh, and but at the end of the day, you know, one of those things. A lot of the times, I would look at it and I would say, okay, well is it really paramount to the story? Like, is it driving the story forward or is it just like conjecture? Is it just sitting there doing absolutely nothing and has no point to be here, which is really what happened with the one scene that I had to cut. And it was, um, it was, there was a whole, a whole dealership scene mm-hmm. with, uh, with the character of Barry and you really get, you see some of where he was coming from, like mm-hmm. what, what really drove him out of that dealership, like how right. he got fired and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, some of the crap that he has to deal with from his coworkers and, and that, that, and I, I love the idea of that scene, mm-hmm. but, and how I wrote it, I love the dialogue. I think it's just, I think it's really great for his character, but at the end of the day, it, it slowed down the pace of the movie and it also ended up not doing anything to drive that story forward. So it was 15 minutes of just, it just killed it like just killed right. the momentum yeah and uh because uh i i could see that and that would be interesting but you i think you get a lot of at least i got a lot of impression of what type of person barry was with what you left in there so um you know but uh it, it was definitely an interesting character in fact all your characters i found uh were had a great separation between them because each one did feel different because uh, sometimes in films like this, uh, you, you can do you can see where they actually all feel the same. Uh, yeah. or did you did you pull from real people's experience at all, or people you've met that uh, to go into these characters? Um, it's kind of funny, actually. I, oh, there we go. Get some oh. brightness. Looks like I should see my face. <laughs> um, it's funny. I uh, so in my writing process with this one, it was I wrote the opening scene, the opening dialogue scene in the diner, I wrote that, um, God, five years ago, four years ago, something like that now. Okay. And just that scene. And I, I had come home after watching drive, Mm -hmm. I think it was. And I just had, I, I don't know why, but like there was something about this character and I don't know where the character of Jeff even came from in my head, but it, I just, there, there was like this, this dripping 
like of sarcasm and disdain <laughs> for for like everything that was going on. And I don't know what happened. I don't know where my head was at that night, but I just had to get that scene out of me, right? Sure. So I didn't know what I was going to use it for, but <clears throat> and I do that a lot where I'll just write something mm-hmm. and just store it away and maybe I'll come back to it, maybe I won't. And ended up coming back to it. But I wrote that and then I um you know, I really liked that character a lot, but I didn't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where to go with him. I didn't know what his story was. I just wrote this random scene. And I actually originally thought about shooting just that scene as like a short film type of thing mm-hmm. um, and adding some characters into it and stuff like that and just, just leaving it in the diner for, you know, 10 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of sat. And then um, I don't remember where... I saw another character, and I can't remember who it was, um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Barry, I I felt like he I – th- I felt like Jeff really needed to be grounded, mm-hmm. and I felt like Barry did that. Um, don't really know where he came from. I, I just <laughs> – I love the idea of brothers. Um, I didn't grow up with any brothers. I'm a, you know, I was an only child, but – um, I like the idea of brothers or sisters and, you know, people keeping each, each other check in check mm-hmm. and, and grounded and things like that. And they get in trouble together. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, like I always felt like, you know, you're going to do whatever you can to save your brother, right. To, right. to make sure that, that he's okay or, or sister for that matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always liked that idea. And then the, the, the friend of Tim, like he just, I, I felt like, you know, we needed another force to drive that story a little bit Mm -hmm. more and to get them into trouble. And at first he started out as like just an extra character. And then I I had a whole other scene with him too, where he picks up Jeff in the beginning Mm -hmm. and you get to know him, that character a little bit too. And ended up getting rid of that scene because it just didn't work right. It didn't look good. It didn't sound good. Everything. Um, But I felt like that character of Tim really helped um, see the emotional side of mm-hmm. Jeff, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's good. You gave Jeff a little bit of emotion. Cause, uh, in all honesty, when he, you first meet him, he, it, pardon my French, he comes off as a dick. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a jerk, you know, kind of a jerk, uh, type character, but I, I, he warmed up to me a little bit. Uh, you know, he warmed up a little bit as you learn more about him. Um, but yeah, I found the dynamic between those three very interesting and, uh, the, actually the world too, uh, how much thought did you put into this kind of underworld? Because this whole thing feels kind of like the noir feel, you know, where you're, you never quite leave the gutter. You're, you're kind of above the gutter, you know, but you're never, no one in here really feels truly redeemable. Um, was, uh, you know, what went into that in, in creating that world that these characters live in? Um, you know, going back to drive, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I love about all of, all of his movies, yeah. uh, there that they do kind of live in that world where nobody's really good. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, I really gravitate to that stuff. And I always have my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, um, cause you look, we watch casino or, um, mean streets and all that kind of stuff back in the back in the seventies and eighties. And even Taxi Driver, you know, it's those movies just don't have redeemable characters, really. Um, like they have aspects of redeemable characters and 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 worlds that they live in, but for the most part, they're just dirty and nasty. <laughs> and um, and I just I always gravitate to that, and I really mm-hmm. don't know why. Um, 
but I think there's, I, I think it, it might be because, you know, it's, I know what a good, what a good world looks like. I know sure. what, what my, what my life looks like. I know mm-hmm. what, you know, with my daughter and my fiance and, you know, we own a house and we have good jobs and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I know what that looks like, but there's something about being able to create uh, a world and characters that that may or may not exist. Mm-hmm. I think that's just really special, and it gives you room to be able to kind of do what I, whatever you want with those with those worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. But <laughs> no, it's, that, yeah, I just it, love. No, I can understand that. It kind of gives you some freedom because you don't really have any moral compass for anybody. You can yeah, you can get uh, you know put them in whatever situation you want. <laughs> Look at Reservoir Dogs. You know, mm-hmm. it's you know Tim Roth's character. He, when when it comes out that he, you know that he's the cop or whatever, it's it, you still don't really even like him. Like like he's supposed to be this good guy at the end of this whole thing, but you still don't really like him. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Reservoir Dogs. I, I will say this kind of felt like it had some Tarantino spirit to it. Was that one of the influences? Uh, you mentioned Drive too. What other uh, things that uh, kind of influenced you when you were writing this? Um, I think Tarantino is always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I, I'm 38 years old, and when I was 10 years old is when Pulp Fiction came out. Sure. And um, I so funny story there, and, I'll, and then I'll go back into it. But no, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> when when Pulp Fiction came out, uh, like I said, I was 10 years old, and this was back in the day when you had to call in on pay per view mm-hmm. to be able to order something. <laughs> and my parents were both gone, so. I'm sitting at the house and so I'm like, okay, I want to see this movie. Like I, I, I have to see this thing. Mm-hmm. And I had heard so much about it and, and I, I just, I was like, I gotta see it. So I ended up calling and ordering it. And about halfway through the movie, I'm sitting there going during, during the, the Bing Rames, uh, rape scene. Oh sure. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I probably shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, such a great underbelly mm-hmm. world that Tarantino created. And, you know, it also showed me as a young writer because I've been writing my as long as I can remember. I've been writing, mm-hmm. but um, short stories and long form and all kinds of stuff. But what that did for me as a young writer is tell me and show me uh, a different a different way to write. So mm-hmm. being able to write out of sequence and have it make sense, um, and I, I just I love that idea. But then you t- go to like Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. where. Um, you know, I think that Reservoir Dogs and Hateful Eight both, I think what Tarantino did so well is challenge himself on being able to stay within, well, especially Reservoir Dogs, stay within budget for one thing, <laughs> yeah. but also, you know, shoot in one location for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if the 80% of your movie is in one location, you're going to save a ton of money on budget and time. And um it was that was always in the back of my mind because I knew that I wanted to make the jump from short films to feature, mm-hmm. but I wasn't gonna do it lightly. And um, I knew we didn't have a whole lot of money, so I was like, okay, well, you know, what can I do to uh, to make it limited locations, mm-hmm. limited cast, limited crew, but still make it as high quality as we think we could achieve without a budget, right? right. Without a good budget. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it started. And then I started kind of, you know, put piece in it all together. And I had these random, like I had these random characters. So I had the character of Barry and this, and this, this 
this guy that, that just goes off the deep end, but I didn't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. So then I started pairing him with Jeff and I really liked that idea, both of those guys together and started kind of just were weeding it out that way. And it just started working itself out. Um, but I knew that I had to do in like majorly one location because just because of the money aspect. And, you know, I'm glad we did because mm-hmm. had we had more characters and had more, locations with the amount of budget that we had, it wouldn't have come out looking the way that it did. It wouldn't have come out. Um, you know, I think we would have, I think we would have lost some quality. And it does work within the story that you have. Now the location you did pick, I love that house. That's a really big house. Did you, did you, uh, know someone with the house that big or did you do some location shooting, uh, hunting for it or. So, uh, Courtney, my fiance, she actually, um, she knows the guy. So the guy that owns it is, uh, uh, his name's John and he, so if he was actually, he's an actor too, mm-hmm. but, um, him and his wife are an older couple and I think they're both retired and they're both in the arts. He, he's an actor and she's, um, she's a cellist oh, for okay. the San Jose, San Jose symphony, I think. Mm-hmm. And so they just, they, they, they're always doing odd hour things and stuff like that. But the house actually is not as big as I make it seem. And that was on purpose mm-hmm. because we knew that, you know, we had these weird corridors and things like that that were going places. And I wanted the house to seem bigger than it really was. So the the main room itself is 30 feet high of windows, sure. So which, you know, is its own problem <laughs> right there. Right. Because when we're shooting, it's like we're like trying to place the camera in sections where the like in between the windows so you can't see it (laughs) because the last thing we wanted to do in editing was have to go back through and you know try to pull that stuff out post um and lights were the same problem Mm -hmm. because we had lights shooting all over the place and then it was like going into windows and it was a mess but what what we did specifically was um you know, if you notice, I never have the characters going down hallways. Mm-hmm. I never have them do. The only time that they ever do like do anything like that is going up and down the stairs from the kitchen right. to the uh, to the living room. And I mean, that's all on purpose because mm-hmm. then it would have shown the size of the house. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a big house, but it's not like right. You know, it's a mansion. Um, in my head, though, when I originally wrote it, I I originally thought mansion type of house in the woods, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and the funny thing is we, so we got this house and it just worked, but right. the back of the house drops and there's like a, I mean, it was probably a hundred foot <laughs> like ravine right behind sure. it. So, so in the scene where, uh, where Jillian starts, she gets away. Right. We had to like, place her funky and weird places and it was just a mess but it worked <laughs> it worked but uh with all that uh windows that a uh, night shoot probably helped a little bit with that too then right <laughs> shooting at night so that was the whole thing we uh so we were we all worked day jobs too so sure. we're we're shooting friday and saturday evenings and sundays during the day and sometimes saturdays during the day too so a lot of us weren't sleeping and um, it was all because of the windows and we couldn't yeah. black them out <clears throat> because we didn't have enough budget to it was like okay do we feed people at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> or do we black these windows out <laughs> we just didn't have the budget so it was like all right i guess we're shooting at night and we're mm-hmm. gonna feed people 
<laughs> uh, the the challenges of indie filmmaking, I don't think people realize because uh, one of the things that I, I enjoyed about it too, though, is uh, I knew you were working on a, a limited budget, you know, being an indie production, but it didn't it didn't have a lot of the aesthetics that you run into uh, that I noticed in it. Um, you know, so you could tell you used it well, but yeah, you make those decisions of feed the crew for the day or you know. Rent a red, you know, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, the, go ahead. At the end of the day, we made, you know, we made decisions like camera decisions, right? Right. It was, I knew that I wanted this thing to have like a 70s, 80s kind mm-hmm. of look to it. Um, you know, you notice there's no cell phones anywhere in it. Yep. Um, I, the only place that you would even notice that it, that it takes place kind of current day is mm-hmm. in the diner when you see cars pass by in the background and that's it. Um, all of it was purposeful. I mean, all the set design, everything was purposeful, all the, the way that they're dressed, the fact that they're, you know, uh, the lawyer, the way he's dressed too. Courtney did such, she did all of that set design and all the wardrobe too. Oh, okay. And she just really, she gave it the look mm-hmm. that I really wanted out of it. Um, you know, their Cadillac, the car that they drive, it's, it's all the same thing. I really, um, really wanted to make sure that it played well together. And the thing is that camera choice was, you know, okay, well, we don't have the budget to go rent a red or an, or an area or something like that. So it was, we've got this black magics mm-hmm. and we knew the limitations of the black magics. You know, we knew that how they acted in low light. And so we knew how much light we need to, we needed to get away with and all those types of things. But it also gave us this graininess that almost looks like film, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "All right, cool." <laughs> Just well together. Added bonus, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I miss film grain on a lot of films. I mean, people don't realize it, but well, you mentioned it. You know, growing up in the '90s, and uh, I'm a little bit older. I grew up growing up in the '80s. That you do kind of miss that film grain aesthetic. I think it adds a little something to it. So, um, plus. Yeah, Go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. I was. It, it, it was funny because when we were getting it colored too, because um, I didn't color it. We had a, a good friend of ours. He at the time he was working for Warner Brothers, so he was able to take it in there, and which was a really cool experience to begin with. <laughs> um, but one of the first things he says to us is, "I feel like this thing needs more grain." <laughs> <laughs> so he added more grain. <laughs> well, it adds to the grittiness uh, of the whole subject matter and the world that you have. Um, I think, uh, you know, and I, I thought the aesthetic worked well, the graininess uh, of it, because it did give that not only 70s feel, but that that kind of older school crime drama, like you mentioned, Reservoir Dogs and that. Um, I think it added to it as well and gave it a little bit more character. Uh, some of the character I like, too, is um, I've got to ask the diner scene, uh, the editing, the close-up on the chewing. Um <laughs> me uh the way you broke up that seed uh, uh did you have that planned out or, or was that a you know how you wanted that edited because I, it's like i am watching it all of a sudden i see this really close-up of him chewing and i'm like i'm finding this fascinating but also <laughs> oddly fascinating <laughs> well you know i did that on purpose uh-huh. uh i wanted i always imagined opening that opening a movie mm-hmm. with just like this uncomfortable feeling right you mm-hmm. all right off the bat it's just uncomfortable and you know along with what he's saying and how he's like spewing it out of his mouth 
And it's funny, the story there is we actually, we did a, we did a test shoot basically mm-hmm. and, uh, to test our lighting and everything like that. And it was basically used as a, as a rehearsal <laughs> and we shot that and it was, uh, it was awesome. Like the, the first time we did it, it was awesome. And I will, I'll never forget like Jesse, uh, the guy who plays Jeff, he was just like literally spewing things out of his mouth as he was talking. So the food was just coming out of his mouth and it was just perfectly, this perfect combination. Um, but we ended up not being able to use it because, you know, we went back and we reshot all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but it was, um, I, I always wanted to use that particular one. The problem was that, uh, we ended up losing some audio Oh sure. and, I don't remember why. I think we had a card burn up or something like that mm-hmm. because it was really hot that day because we were shooting, uh, you know, it was like 100 degrees inside and, and, and those black magics along with we, – we, we lost a full terabyte card too one Ooh. day. Um, and it was just – man, it was rough. But uh, we lost an audio card and not being able to use it. I still have that footage and it's, it still looks amazing. <laughs> It is what it is. Uh, you know, get some ADR. You just there. You go right. <laughs> Fix it in <and> post. <laughs> ADR. I will never like. I don't. I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. It, <laughs> like, it, there's two sections of the movie that are mm-hmm. ADR. Mm-hmm. One of them actually came out really good because um, the both post sound guys that I used. They were able. They did a lot of work um, with with the score as well as just all the other sounds going on around it, where you you really can't tell that it's eighty yard, um, which was really good. Um, but it's because it's the scene where uh, Barry comes down and gets in front of Bob mm-hmm. and is basically trying, is nicely trying to talk to him at right. that point. That entire scene is all ADR. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's yeah. It was it was a lot, mm-hmm. and um, and then the other one was with the neighbor, okay. And that you can tell, right. you can hear it in two lines. I think that she has, you can hear it, uh, and there was just nothing we could do about it. And it is what it is, and it bugs me every time. But <laughs> <laughs> things that you notice for sure that I'm sure maybe you know some other people don't, but yeah, y- you being involved in it, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the neighbor. There are those moments, and you alluded to earlier that the humor that you had in here. Um, I, I think it, it it worked well in here for me to help break things up. Is that why you left some of it in? Because you mentioned you wanted it more dramatic, but it felt like it it broke something because you you went to d- some dark places later, <laughs> you know, in yeah. here. But then then you have kind of the the black humor that we're used to seeing in crime dramas like that. Uh, so is that why you left some of that in there or, um, I think I left it in just because mm-hmm. it was, uh, I find comedy in, uh, and when people don't know what the hell they're doing. So <laughs> like, you know, it, I felt uh, a lot of the times when we were filming, I felt like, and when I was writing it too, it was if I were to go rob this guy, right? What would I think that I would get myself in trouble with? Like, <laughs> where would I end up? And then when it came down to editing it, it was um, it, all those same things kind of came up. Like mm-hmm. when when Barry is in the kitchen with Jeff, and and he tells him, you know, at some point we're gonna have to figure out what to do with the other two down there, like. <laughs> It, it's serious, but at the same time, 
it's comedic because these guys don't have a clue what they're doing. Right. And they didn't prepare themselves for any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very kind of like Fargo-ish in a lot of ways too. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I thought it gave balance and it's not like it was completely uh, slapstick like Keystone or anything yeah. that took it out. It, it, it felt natural within in, in the world that you had here now uh you've got a great cast i love the cast even uh down to i in all honesty i wanted to see more of the bunny character um <laughs> i really like that so uh you know if you ever do a spin-off movie with bunny i'd love to see it uh, but uh for the casting did you have people in mind when you chose this some friends or did you do a, a casting calls we did casting calls mm-hmm. um and it's actually kind of funny. So uh, Jesse, mm-hmm. he was the first. He was the first one. So mm-hmm. um, I put it out. I put out a casting call locally just to kind of see who was out there. Oh, and, and in LA, I think too, mm-hmm. just to kind of see who who would come across. There was one guy. I forget who it was. That was very good down in LA, but we just couldn't. We couldn't do it because right. the, the budget there just wasn't there. And we knew we were gonna have to shoot weekends. And I was just like, you know, I, I just can't do it. Right. Uh, but Jesse. He actually he applied locally and he mm-hmm. sent in a, uh, a, a a video recording of his, of the entire first scene. <laughs> so I without having to read it too. That was the whole thing. Yeah. I was blown away because like that's a six minute mm-hmm. something six or seven minute long monologue basically. Right. And for him to be able to do that in like in an audition just mm-hmm. blew me away. And he was just, he had this arrogance about him in that, in that. And I was just like, yeah, okay, this is the guy. So I ended up meeting him for coffee and we chatted about the movie, chatted about where I wanted this, the movie to go. He was, you know, I think Jesse was very concerned about, um, working with, you know, somebody that didn't want this to be the best that it could be. Right. Um, there, you know, sadly there's a lot of independent filmmakers out there that, you know, try take bite off more than they can chew mm-hmm. and get stuck in a predicament. And to be honest, halfway through shooting this movie, I thought that I did too. Right. I, I mean, there were moments at three o'clock in the morning when, you know, we haven't slept for a week and a half or whatever it is. And I distinctly remember a moment where I had to, we took a break for lunch at mm-hmm. two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> whatever it was. And I, uh, I had to go outside. I just I grabbed right. a burger and I went outside and sat outside for a minute and started crying mm-hmm. because it was just like, you know, when you're overworked along oh, yeah. with trying to be creative mm-hmm. at the same time, it's a, and you have all these people that are just looking at you, looking at you, looking at you. It is a lot of pressure. And, um, I don't think people quite understand the amount of pressure that comes along with that. And, um, it, it, but anyway, um, <laughs> going back to it. Sure. Uh, and then, you know, we just, we kept doing casting calls over and over and over again. I couldn't find the right character for Tim and Barry was an interesting character because I had actually hit up a guy in Hollywood that I really liked a lot as an actor. And he was, he, he's a younger actor, not younger, but right. newer actor. Um, a few years ago when we were first looking and I can't remember his name to save my life right now, but, uh, he was in a Netflix show, Oh God, I forget the name of it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, uh, I really liked him as, the, mm-hmm. I, I, he was like a character unto himself and he had, you know, kind of like curlyish hair and glasses and he kind of was just dopey. 
And I just felt like he'd be perfect for it. And uh, anyway, I kept hitting him up, kept hitting him up, and we chatted about it a couple of times. And then, and then his career started taking off a little bit. So it was that kind of went out the window. Right. So we kept looking, kept looking. I mean, we looked for probably six months trying to find somebody. And one of my good friends, uh, well, one of our, me and Courtney's really good friends, uh, Dustin, Courtney kept telling me, you should, he's a great actor. I mean, I've, I've worked with him a ton in the past and I just didn't see him in this role. I just never did. I never saw him in the role. I thought he was too pretty for it, you know, because he's <laughs> honestly like outside of the glasses and the hair sure. and stuff like that, he's kind of a pretty boy. So I was like, I don't, I just didn't see it. And Courtney's like, well, why don't, you know, one day we were doing a full casting call. We were bringing people in for a couple of the other roles for Bob and for Tracy and a couple other things. And Dustin was living down the street at the time and somebody had canceled. So Courtney's like, well, why don't you just invite Dustin over to the, to the, to the reading or whatever? I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Well, we'll invite him over. He comes over. He, he's, a, I don't know if he wants me to tell this, but he's a little hungover. <laughs> sure. And it actually worked. So the hungoverness worked for the role because he was just so done with like, he didn't want to do it. So when I asked him, I was like, Hey dude, do me a favor. Can you sit down with Jesse and just, cause Jesse was there and I was right. like, can you sit down with Jesse and just, you know, read a couple of lines. I want to keep Jesse kind of fresh. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, so I didn't tell Dustin that he was flat out auditioning <laughs> and he just kind of rolled into the character a little mm-hmm. bit. And I was like, I looked at the second he read it, I looked at Courtney and I was like, Oh God, this is it. And I was like, and then I started giving him direction. Sure. I think at that point it hit him. Okay. I'm kind of auditioning for this thing now. <laughs> and, um, and we're all friends, like sure. close friends. So it's just, it's one of those weird moments. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Dustin, I, I called him right when, when we were done, I called him and I was like, Hey, dude, do you want this role or not? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. Let's do it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Tim, though, yeah, Tommy is actually a really good friend of Courtney's, and that's how sure. we found him. Oh, cool! And uh, what about the role for Bunny? Because uh, I, like I said, I, I was very fascinated, and I actually wanted to see more of of this organization that Bunny ran and the Bunny character. It's her, herself, you know. You, she only gets a small scene, but I'm just like, I want to see more of of this group. <laughs> you know? I. Uh, between us, I well, and everybody else that knows me, I love Bunny. I yeah. love her character so much, and I honestly, it's on. The, it's always been in the back of my mind about writing a movie about her, mm-hmm. and but something that doesn't connect with Sleeping Dogs at all. Right. Like I just want, I would want it to live on its own. Um, I, I just, she was such a strong character, mm-hmm. and. You know, when she leaned down and she, oh, by the way, she had never smoked <laughs> in her life. And so I'm trying to ask her to smoke. So they're outside trying to teach her how to smoke. It was hilarious. But um, she's she's a professional. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she's been doing she doesn't do a lot of film. She does a lot of theater, though. OK, um, she's she's a professional actress in mm-hmm. theater and is amazing. And um, but when she leaned down and kissed Jesse and the smoke, I don't know if you can tell, but like she also had smoke in her mouth. Yeah. She kissed him and then the smoke came out and I was just like, God, that's just awesome. <laughs> and um, I just like how she commanded the scene. She mm-hmm. was just fantastic. But we found her uh, through theater. Mm-hmm. So Tony, who is who helped shoot the movie, he was one of the cinematographers in it. He, uh, he knew her from theater mm-hmm. and pointed us in her direction because I knew I wanted – I knew I wanted a, an African-American 
uh, female. Mm-hmm. I just I, I I I just loved it. I just love the <laughs> idea of it. Um, I liked. I also really liked her not being kind of slummy. I mm-hmm. wanted her to be strong. I wanted her to to run an organization, not you know, and run businesses and things like that. Uh, I, I like that that old school mob mentality, you know, mm-hmm. instead of in the gutter kind of mentality. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what I liked about the character, too, and that's why it, it, people may say, wow, you keep bringing her up, but that's what I liked about her, because when you allude, you know, that uh, in the beginning that Jeff owes her money and that, and you kind of expecting the, for lack of a better term, the kind of sultry kind of, you know, she moves a little bit and she uses it, but, you know, then you meet Bunny, and, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, a team. Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. And she she commands it. And she's, yeah, just like serious mob boss. Like, she comes on the screen and you're like, whatever you want, I will do. Uh, <laughs> you know, she doesn't even have to say anything. But, uh, yeah, and, and that's why I found that character really interesting because I think it bucked expectations of what you're used to seeing in, in a number of films, you know, crime films, films like this, when it's the female lead, you know, the female lead of the organization, she's always played a little, you know, uses a little sensual or flirts or something, you know, plays with the guy in here. She's just like, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> you know? I've always loved strong female characters. Mm-hmm. If you go back and you watch any of my shorts or anything like that, or, mm-hmm. or even read anything that I've ever written, I love strong female characters. I always have, you know, before it was, I'm going to say this, but like, I liked it before it was cool in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. but like strong female characters. And I, I think it's because, you know, it's that unsuspecting person, um, especially back in the, like the early nineties and stuff like that. I think a lot, I think Tarantino had a lot to do with that for me too. Um, you know, when you watch Kill Bill and things like that, I think that, you know, people judge him a lot for how he treats female characters on screen. Mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, especially with, uh, the Hollywood one, the new one, Oh yeah. Time, but, mm-hmm. and what, that end scene, what he does to those is bad, but, um, <laughs> I, I personally enjoyed how that. I know people got offended. I'm like, were you watching the rest of the film? I mean, I'm like, yeah. you know, do you know what character that is that was in real life? I'm like, it, it was entertaining. I hate to say That's it, but funny. yeah. But I, I always liked not just what he did with female characters, but I always liked what he did with um, just almost like the low level character, low, low level characters, so right? Like, yeah. for instance, right? You would never picture Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. You know, four rooms, Tim Roth, in Reservoir Dogs, the way that he is. Like, right. it, so, and then in Pulp Fiction, the very beginning of Pulp Fiction, too. Like, I think that he, Tarantino, takes these these unwanted kind of characters mm-hmm. and 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 make and makes them strong. Right. And um, at least that's my kind of my take on it. And I, I just, I always liked that about any characters, whether it's a, whether it's a female or whether it's just like, you know, the, the, the nerd that sat in the back of the classroom writing his whole life. And, and now he's rich and that's the, and you know, whatever. <laughs> Cause that was, you know, <laughs> right. I'm rich by any means, but I mean like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's just, it's, I think it's powerful because it shows the everyday person to some degree. It, it grounds them a little. I think it, it makes you, Sit there, and go. You know, you're watching a movie, but you could kind of see this person in real life, 
is yeah. and and that's what uh, it felt like with a, a lot of the characters that you uh, wrote here. Though I want to know the car with the horns. Where where did you get the car with the horns? <laughs> did you did you have to attach them, or did did you find just find that car? So uh, funny thing. So I love iconic cars. Sure. I think cars and movies like are so underrated nowadays, mm-hmm. and I miss the the days of the iconic car. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's, I just love it. But um, no, actually, one of our friends, Dan Dan Barbeau, he uh, he's a funny guy. He um, he's obsessed with like he loves Elvis, and you walk into his house, and there's just Elvis memorabilia everywhere, and it's just it's really cool, really really cool guy, really really nice guy, mm-hmm. and he had this. He pulled up one day. And I got to paint this picture for you. So he pulls up one day and he's driving this Cadillac, right? And mm-hmm. it's got the horns on the front of it. And inside he's got this little Elvis wavy, you know, the yeah. little bobblehead thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's sitting on there. His license plate says Elvis one on it. And I just, I fell in love with that car. I was like, <laughs> this is an iconic car. And I just, I had to have it, had to have it. And I called him up one day and I was like, Hey, you know, would you be okay with us using it a couple of da- a couple of days here and there? And he's like, "We'll just take it." <laughs> so I had this car sitting at our house for like three months. I think it was. Uh-huh. It was leaking oil, leaking gas. I mean, this thing—I don't even know how it still ran. But <laughs> I and he so he gave it to his brother. Mm-hmm. So his brother now owns this car, and I t- mm-hmm. I told him I'm like, if he ever wants to get rid of it. You let me know because I never want that thing gone because now I want to like have it pop up in places, <laughs> like just random places. Put put it in your own uh, combined cinematic universe, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Why not? Sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I just found that car fascinating. When I saw that, I was like thinking a little bit of Boss Hog, you know, angle yeah. with it too. So it kind of brought back, uh, speaking of iconic cars, so... Uh, yeah, I thought it, it really, it really added something when I saw it. I just kind of, I, I chuckled too. It was like, oh man. Now, uh, for the financing, you mentioned you worked on a budget. Did you do crowdfunding for this at all? Or was it, uh, just, uh, all financed, uh, personal or finding financers for it? So we tried to do crowdfunding and mm-hmm. it didn't work. Um, right. I, I tried hitting up marketing people that knew how to crowdfund the right way and stuff like that. I, my personal opinion on crowdfunding nowadays is I think it, I think the market's just saturated, sure. um, especially for independent films that don't have anybody attached to it that's mm-hmm. got any kind of big name. I think it's really hard to raise money. Um, but you know, we didn't do it. You know, we, yeah. we we weren't able to, so I don't know if it actually works <laughs> or not. Um, I know I have friends that have gotten some money out of it, sure. uh, but it didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. We ended up, so it was mostly me and Courtney. Uh, we dumped a lot of money into this thing. Mm-hmm. And then Tony came in and he, he put in a little bit of money. Um, well, now after post-production, he, he actually helped the most part in post-production. Mm-hmm. He, he really helped get it across the finish line where we needed it with like with sound and things like that. Um, because it probably wouldn't have gotten finished and posted without him. Well, I, uh, and then we had a couple of friends that gave us a few grand here and there to kind of just help with things. And then, um, yeah, and we just, oh, a lot of people work for free. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> we'll never see a paycheck from it. And I know sure. that, but it's, you know, it was really special to have all these people really believe in you, believe in the product, believe in what you're really trying to do. Um, and, and give their all, 
I mean, right. they really gave me their all for two months mm-hmm. every weekend, you know, and I can't crew and cast. I, I just feel like I, you know, that's just amazing. <laughs> and I think people sometimes forget about the post-production costs. You know, they, they think of the, <laughs> the, the filming day costs, you know, but uh, just how long sometimes some things sit in post because you need the money for, for audio or, or finishing special effects, which you did have some makeup of effects in here, not a lot, but uh, yeah. I thought the ones you did have in here were effective. Um, did, did you kind of make a limit too of, was it uh, more creative or budget to uh, for, you know, limit gore or, or blood effects, you know, makeup effects in here? Uh, both? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I think Nick did a great job mm-hmm. with, because he had to do all the tattoos on Jesse too every single day. Oh, sure. So... You know, he was taking that was taking two hours, two hours every single day just to get the tattoos on. And it was a mess because it was just it was just time consuming for him. And Nick worked pretty much for free. Uh, I gave him a few hundred bucks just to, for for some for some stuff for mm-hmm. some you know just to be able to kind of replenish his uh, his uh, just you right. know his stuff that he was with or whatever. And but he did everything. He did all the mul- all the castings and mm-hmm. stuff like that for free basically um and was there every day every night with us um couldn't thank him enough for that he really knocked it out of the park for us and then the uh the final vfx stuff at the end that was a good friend of mine that did that Mm -hmm. um the fire effects yeah and he did that for free as well uh so you know again it was just people just coming through and really you know i think a lot of it is that me and courtney and tony um we're we're pretty respected in the local community. Sure. So, and, and I do a lot with music too. And so a lot of the, a lot of the filmmakers here in town, there's a good portion of us that are also involved in the music side of things. So like some of us are musicians and where mm-hmm. we were, we're, you know, stagehands and all that kind of stuff. And so I was able to use some of those connections and stuff like that. And, um, really just kind of get help from people. And it was really amazing. Oh, that's, that's awesome that you have that uh, type of community there because you do hear both sides of the the track so to speak for indie filmmaking sometimes you hear that awful experiences where no one will help you and then you have like what you have there which is uh, everybody seems to help each other out uh, quite a bit it was funny actually though because i think you know sacramento the sacramento film scene in general is a mm-hmm. little weird um i'm not going to go to details about that no but it's that's just, yeah I think every mid-sized town mm-hmm. is a little funky anyway. <laughs> um, that's from what I've heard from sure. people. But I think that once once it was in the can mm-hmm. and I got a good edit on it, right. um, I started sharing it out with some people. And I think uh, it started getting around that it did look good. Um, people didn't really know what to think because in Sacramento and in, in a lot of other smaller mid-sized towns like this, there tends to be the you know a lot of a lot of poor quality sure. that comes out. Mm-hmm. And then there's one or two here and there that come out that are good quality, right. but you don't know the difference until you see it. <laughs> so I think it started going around that it was looking good, that it sounded good, that, um, that it might make some waves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people started kind of coming up and helping and, sure. It is what it is. is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, uh, this was your first feature uh, Mm -hmm. and you've done a number of shorts. Do you think doing uh, a a number of shorts before leading up to your feature kind of helped you make the feature? Big time. Yeah. 
I think, you know, I've done a lot, I've done a bunch of shorts, but mm-hmm. I also work in the industry full time. Sure. So, um, I do a lot of, com- I do like commercial work and social mm-hmm. media type stuff and that kind of stuff. Um, but with the shorts, I actually, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't mm-hmm. go to school to be a filmmaker. Uh, I honestly didn't have the money. I didn't want to get myself in, you know, hundred thousand dollars in debt <laughs> to go to school, uh, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay it back. Like it was right. just one of those things. So, um, I said to myself, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I just, I thought it wasn't in the cards for me. And then about 12 years ago, I guess now, something like that, I met Jeff, Jeff Foley, who is also the other shooter on this, on this one. And, um, you know, me and him banded together and we made some shorts and he and a group of a group that I, that I worked with a lot before the feature, they just, we all gravitated towards each other. They mm-hmm. really believed in what I really wanted to do and, and that I wanted to build this this weird crime kind of underbelly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they all just believed in it. And, but the, what came with that belief was good people that knew what they were doing. Sure. And I, I firmly believe that no matter who you are, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and you <laughs> will learn from them. <laughs> and... You know, I had on my first short that I ever directed, mm-hmm. um, I didn't write it and it never, it never saw the light of day and it, probably, it never will just one, it's bad. And two, it was, um, <laughs> it, we lost some of the footage is just lost, sure. but who I met on that project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this guy Nelson that I met on that project, he's also a VFX guy, but he worked on Halloween. He worked oh. on, mm-hmm. yeah, he worked on Terminator two, mm-hmm. um, he worked on uh, a bunch of indie horrors and stuff sure. like that but down in Hollywood back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. And he moved to Sacramento just to retire and hang out and whatever. Older guy. Incredibly nice guy. But he he was totally interested in working with um, uh, you know young filmmakers right. and stuff like that locally mm-hmm. and just wanted to help out here and there and have some fun. That's all he was in it for. <laughs> but I learned – I mean I learned how to make a shot list from him. I learned, you know, basics of filmmaking from him Mm -hmm. and sitting there on set going, I don't know what to do, (laughs) but I knew, I knew what I wanted out of characters Mm -hmm. so I could direct them. I knew kind of what I wanted out of, uh, out of camera angles and things like that. So I could direct that to some degree, but Mm -hmm. it was the basics that they don't teach you that you can't learn, um, or that, no, sorry, that you can't, that, that that you can learn that are not um, like innate abilities, basically. Right. You know, some people are, some people can direct, some people can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's all this other background stuff that you need to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing that the stuff that I was able to learn from people, and still to this day I'm learning, like every time I'm on a set, I'm watching everybody, you know, mm-hmm. who's doing what, how they're doing it. It might not, might not be right, it might, but at least I have the ability to be able to say, okay, well, I like what they're doing. I don't like what they're doing and I can make my own decisions sure. at that point. So I think, you know, I just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it pays off uh, quite well with uh, your future. And uh, so, I, you know, what, do you have anything on the slate coming up? Are you, are you taking a little breather from uh, now that you have this one in the can and, and kind of getting it out there? Uh, you know, what, what do you got coming up uh, for you? I so. wish I could. I really, really wish I could tell you that there was something coming up, but sure. uh, right now there isn't. And mm-hmm. it's sad because, you know, sleeping dogs really burn me out. Um, sure. mm-hmm. it, 
you know, especially within post-production, that's, I, I, it just, it burned me out. And you get to a point too, where you're like, I don't even know if this is good anymore. (laughs) So, uh, I, I, I really, I really just wasn't in a good headspace Mm -hmm. and my depression and stuff like that just wasn't really good, uh, for a long time. And then I was, you know, I was waiting for the movie to release, waiting for it to release, waiting for it to release. And I was like, Oh God, I hope we get good, good reviews and stuff like that. (laughs) Like, and then reviews started coming in and they were mm-hmm. and they were for the most part good. So mm-hmm. I was like or at least middle of the road, which sure. is great because for independent for any independent filmmaker to get a decent or good review is mm-hmm. so difficult because of the fact that people, you know, your everyday everyday viewer doesn't understand what we went through to make that, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, Joe Joe Blow at home sitting at home is going to watch it and go well, he might like it. He might not like it, but right. he's gonna, you know, it, because it's independent. It's got it's got its flaws. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to expect, and so a lot of that was building up in my head too. But now um, it makes me really happy to say that I've been able to write again. Mm. I haven't written anything in a long time, sure. and about three weeks ago, I I, I was sitting here and I, it just I had this idea uh, that I really really. In, liked i really wanted to uh explore this this world that i grew up in actually which was when i was a kid i, I watched a lot of uh a lot of hitchcock oh sure and yeah mm-hmm. i i love rear window rear window oh, is yeah. just god it's just i love that and i i love i love the suspense of him sitting mm-hmm. there in that wheelchair and and not being able to move not being able to get out of there and like and, and watching this world around him and i really love that um, so I'm kind of exploring that a little bit oh, in nice. it, but, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, yeah, I'm not going to go into detail. No, about it, no. I'm, yeah. I'm really enjoying writing it mm-hmm. and it makes me happy to, to really enjoy writing something again. Um, cause I loved writing sleeping dogs. Sure. I really did. I, I really enjoyed writing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing that and then, um, I'm actually just going to roll into another one. So I'm going to, I'm just going to keep writing mm-hmm. because basically what I'm doing is telling myself to write five to six pages a night. And you know, now that I'm on, now that I'm on a roll and I'm almost done with that one, I'm going to take that just, I'm going to take it as is. I'm not going to do any edits to it at first. I'm going mm-hmm. to give it to Courtney and she can tear it apart, but at least I have something to start with. Sure. Um, and then from there I've got six other features that I've written. Oh, wow. Um, and I think I might go back and look at two of them. One of them, I, I, one of them, I keep going back and forth writing every once in a while, and and I really love it. It's a heist. It's another heist movie, but it's mm-hmm. more on the action side of things. Sure. Um, so who knows? But I'm, you know, hopefully, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to find more budget and get into something hopefully really soon. So, uh, you, yeah, I mean, uh, you do wore a number of hats for this film, but with some of those scripts. Is it something that where you would maybe uh, just for uh, your own sanity, because you said you did go through a lot of, you know, uh, trials with the feature, would it be like you could possibly, you know, give your script to someone else to direct? Or are those, you know, all projects that, you know, I know it's a tough question, but, uh, you know, that you might feel comfortable giving to someone else to direct, even though you wrote it? Um, I think it would depend on the project. Sure. There's, there's a few that I'm really close to and there's a few that I'm not. So, right. you know, yeah, you look at Tarantino too and, you know, uh, with true romance, right. you know, I, I think it's a perfect example of just being able to break into the industry and that, that gave him his break. Mm-hmm. Um, 
along with I forget what the other one was. Oh, it was the Natural Born Killers. Right, Natural Born Killers. Yeah, yeah. which so, that's a that's a wild film. Uh, I, I actually have the laser disc for that. Really? <laughs> yeah the the collector's laser disc. It's a, a box about that thick. It's got three or four laser discs. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a big retro media guy, so. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know where I found that. I, I think that was given to me or no, I found it at like a thrift store. Someone was selling it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love natural burn killers, man. And I, I have a script that I, that I started writing years ago that is mm-hmm. like, I really wanted it to be my like homage to natural born killers, but I just can't get there. Like I just, there's something about it that just keeps bugging me and I can't fix it. Like, <laughs> so I just kind of leave it there and just sits there and maybe one day I'll come back to it. Well, natural born killers. What I love about that is that it's one of those films where it's a wide release film, but you look at it, it's, it's so different and indie in spirit that you're watching this going, I'm very impressed. They wide released this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Oliver Stone, it's amazing, like, some of the stuff that he's done over the years, you know, it's and, and how it varies, right. too. You know, you look at JFK, and then you look at Natural Born Killers, and it's like, it's not even in the same <laughs> world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then but then you look at Savages, which doesn't right. get any love, mm-hmm. and I think Savages is amazing. I mean, I love everything about that movie, and, and it's such a shame that it doesn't get an, enough love. It really is, but... You know, that's something uh, I think older filmmakers get more leeway with <laughs> being able to uh, to kind of do what they want. I mean, you look at Spielberg, dude, you know, mm-hmm. he grew up, you know, making suspenseful thrillers. Yeah. And, and, and you know, even Jurassic Park, you know, I, I Jurassic Park is a suspenseful thriller for the most part. Oh, yeah. I always I always looked at Jurassic Park as I'm like. People look at it, you know, oh, family film. I'm like, it's a horror movie, man. <laughs> you know, you look at it. I mean, you got dinosaurs ripping people apart and a, a severed arm. You know, it's like, uh, but the, yeah, let's take the family to it. Yeah, because it's got dinosaurs in it. Right. You, more, more power to it. Actually, I liked Savages too quite a bit. Um, I, it was, it was. Uh, I went to it because uh, I like Oliver Stone as well, and it, it surprised me. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a decent film quite a bit. You know, Kubrick's kind of like that, too. He's got a bad reputation, but he's got the kind of indie spirit as well. Um, yeah. And you mentioned Hitchcock. You, you like Hitchcock. I think people forget that Hitchcock was, you know, the way he approached his films, like you mentioned, uh, like with Rear Window, they're kind of indie film approaches. I mean, Psycho was actually a low-budget indie film. You know, Rear Window's all in one location, just about. I mean, is uh, uh, Hitchcock, you, you mentioned you're a, you watched it a lot as a kid. Did he have some influences for some of your uh, writing, too? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I loved horror growing up, too. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think I think all my influences have kind of influenced me now, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense. But, uh, you know, I loved horror. I loved, I loved the whole world of Halloween, too, when I was a kid. And... Um, but Hitchcock just, I grew up with, so my dad watched a lot of black and white movies and a lot of black and white stuff. And I grew up around noir. Um, and then, and he, wa- I, I grew up watching, uh, the Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock show. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of Twilight Zone, a ton <laughs> of Twilight Zone. So I think all of that has, 
I th- I'm sure all of it has really mm-hmm. pushed me to be the writer that I am today, uh, for sure, definitely. And and it's great uh, to hear that because I know some people out there nowadays, especially in the film culture we have, well, the YouTube reviewer as I call it as well, some people like, well, I don't watch anything past 2000. I'm like, you're missing out on, <laughs> you know, because you watch... Uh, we did uh, eight weeks of Hitchcock on our podcast, oh, nice. and so we watched eight Hitchcock films. I just picked them because I, I knew, I'm a, Psycho is one of my all-time favorite films, but I and I'd watched Birds, but not some of the other ones. Uh, and so we watched Rope, and if you watch, it's like you watch that film, you're like, I see this filmmaker and this filmmaker and this filmmaker in this film that you know is trying to give you the one take feel. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think people lose something if they don't watch the old films. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, not Coppola or Spielberg, but I'm, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, he did Scarface. Right. Uh, uh, what, why am I, why am I skipping my mind right now? It just blanked uh, on me, too. We're, we we oh. failed. We've yeah, De Palma. Thank you. We were just talking about him the other day. Sorry, we failed as film lovers. Oh damn it! No, yeah, De Palma. <laughs> but he, you know, he did so many movies, mm-hmm. and people don't even realize how many he did because he was all of his movies were a major flop for the most part <laughs> in the theaters. So if you watch, um, oh god, I what is it? Uh, uh, the Double Identity one. Oh, Ra- Raising Kane. Yes, Raisin Kane. Yeah. And it's another one too. But he, uh, if you watch the documentary about De Palma, mm-hmm. he talks about how uh, <clears throat> he shot these movies in his house because nobody would give him budget anymore. So he, would, <laughs> so he was calling his friends to come and be in the movie. And, and then he was shooting in his own house and just sure. dressing the house to look different. And I'm like, God, I love this because it's just <laughs> – you know, to think about a guy that made, you know, you grew up watching Scarface oh, yeah. and, and and those types of movies, and you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he was able to keep that mm-hmm. that that love of, of of just making films is amazing, and yeah. I think that you know, uh, you know, bigger directors and older directors like that, it, you know, there's a lot to learn. There's a ton to learn. Yeah, we actually uh, talked about De Palma recently, uh, Snake Eyes, we just talked yeah. about, which is just a wild film. I'm like, you watch yeah. it, you're like, and not just because you've got a hyper cage in it, or as I call him, cocaine cage, <laughs> but, you know, because he's just, he's so Nicolas Cage in that film, yeah. but that's a that's a wild movie, too. And uh, De Palma, for me, Raising Cain was my first film where I realized it was a De Palma film. Because when I was younger, and then I watched back and go, oh, no, wait, he's done this film and this film. Oh, he's done all these films I love. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, when I was younger, you don't really pay attention of, of who it is unless if you're in the 80s. Oh, that's a Spielberg film or whatever. But some of the uh, quite lesser known ones, you realize, oh, I've liked his work for a long time. I didn't even realize it was him. <laughs> well, I, think, I think there's also an access thing mm-hmm. going on, too, right? Where back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, we didn't have access to a lot of these titles right. you had to wait for it to come on TV or pay-per-view or HBO or whatever, what have you. Um, because even, you know, blockbuster or wherever you were renting movies from a lot of that stuff wasn't there either. So mm-hmm. it was just like an access thing where now it's like you have it at the t- touch of your hands. You can just, 
I can go online and I can say, okay, well, show me every Brian De Palma movie. And I can have a field day watching every single Brian De Palma movie, you know, or realize that he's got 30 something movies that he made. And I think that's, I think it's a really huge thing because, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, you know, they were asking me what my influences were, mm-hmm. and I went down the road of, you know, the Tarantinos, right. and and Spielberg was a massive influence on me as a kid, and I think a lot of that is because of the access, right. you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, you went to the theater, you saw big movies, you didn't see, <laughs> you know, you didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't even, I don't even remember if Pulp Fiction was released wide, like right. I just don't remember, um, you just didn't see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. You saw Jurassic Parks, and you saw Twisters, and you saw that kind of stuff, but. Well, and you mentioned Blockbuster. I mean, Blockbuster would have a hundred copies of Jurassic Park, and then they'd yeah. have, you know, they'd have their 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 side piece or whatever of of you know the, yeah. the the on your way to the big wall of new releases. You'd have you know the smaller stuff. You kind of had to go to the mom and pop stuff to find that more you know second tier director or whatever that are well known but not the explosive, you know, everybody knows them, you know, you yeah. kind of go to the small town, you know, the, the mom and pop rental place and go, yo man, you, you got any of that De Palma there? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was this little, uh, there was this little store. I grew up, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia sure. and, uh, there was a little tiny like corner store or whatever right across mm-hmm. the street and they had a, just a section. So it was like a deli and a bunch of other stuff that they would sell there. And they had this little tiny section. I mean, I'm talking like a wall, like a small wall. And he would have the weirdest titles in there, but never anything new. Everything mm-hmm. was always old. And that's where I ended up watching a lot of stuff, a lot of weird stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, like, there's this sci-fi movie that came out back in, like, the early 90s called uh, Mosquito. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Mosquito, yeah. It's, you know, not good, <laughs> but... <laughs> but it was there and I watched yeah. that's how I watched it, you know, or uh, like I married the mob and those yeah. types of movies. Like he just had these obscure titles. But the funny thing is that all those movies mm-hmm. are still in my head. Right. And, and I, and I can take from that. I can mm-hmm. take from those experiences, you know, and, and there's, and as a writer, that's what you do. You take from experiences and you take from everything and everybody around you and, you know, all the movies you've watched over the years or whatever it is. And, right. I, you know, it's just funny. But uh, you also try to make it your own, it felt like, like you did with, yeah. you know, I, you had the spirit, but I never felt like you were, as people would say, ripping off or homage, which is a whole nother discussion of which is which, <laughs> which you know, yeah. you, you have the spirit here, but it's still your own. Is that a little tough uh, to do because you have those f- movies that influenced you so much to not just kind of replicate that? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I did a short a long time ago now. I think it was about 10 years ago called The Long Slow Burn. Sure. And I love that script. It's a 30-page short script that I should have never done as a short. I should have written it into a feature. Um, and I bit off way more than I could chew. It was sure. my it was my first major short film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's got good moments. Um, I, I, I'm, I really love the characters of it. But it was um, – very 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 much like drive right and it i felt like if i went down that road of making it into a feature that i probably would have just straight up stolen some of that stuff <laughs> sure and i want to be my own filmmaker mm-hmm. i want to be able to show the world that one that i'm influenced all over the place too mm-hmm. like you know 
I made mention of it earlier, but like De Palma, for instance, made movies that he wanted to make. Right. He made, you know, Mission Impossible and things that were different. And, uh, you know, he jumped around. He made action films. And then he made a noir films. And then he made, you know, thrillers and almost horror type stuff. And I love that because, mm-hmm. you know, I want to do that. I want to right. make a coming of age movie one day or and I want to make a horror movie and I want to, you know, sure. do all these things. Uh, and I think. I think it's it's special and it's important, but I want to be my own, and I want to stand out. I want to stand out in a crowd, basically. Sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, well, uh, on that note, I think uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, so let people know: is uh, Sleeping Dogs where Sleeping Dogs lie? Uh, is that out now for public consumption yet, or is it still making the festival circuit? Uh, uh, go ahead. You your license to shill away of of where they can find your uh, feature film. Awesome. Uh, it, right now it's, so it's on prime, it's mm-hmm. on Amazon prime, it's on, uh, iTunes and voodoo and Fandango now and Xbox and Google play. <laughs> um, it's everywhere, but Netflix and Hulu pretty much. <laughs> uh, That's not necessarily a bad thing at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love, here's the funny, the funny thing is I love what Hulu's doing over sure. there. I, I, I love the quality of their, of the mm-hmm. films they're picking up wherever they're getting them from or the ones that they're producing. I really like what they're doing over there. Um, but yeah, so right now that's where, that's where it's living. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still up for rent or to buy, but that's going to end in September. I forget the exact date. I think it's September 11th or 12th or something like that mm-hmm. where it will switch over to, uh, just regular streaming. Okay. Uh, so if you have those services, you can stream it. But as far as I know, I think uh, the the distribution company, uh, the Orchard, they are currently trying to get it on other platforms too. Nice. So um, we'll kind of see where it ends up. But right now, it's you know it's de- definitely readily available on. <laughs> Everywhere you probably go, except for Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> and uh, do you have a site or somewhere where people could go to follow up and keep up to date on the projects you got coming up? Yeah. So um, the movie itself is where Sleeping Dogs Lie Movie dot com, uh, but then Burn Baby Burn Films is uh, my production company. That's not going away anytime soon, and uh, we're making updates to it. Uh, I'm getting ready to make some major updates to it, and hopefully drive forward into the future. Awesome. And make some, make some more Burn Baby Burn stuff. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I hope this uh, got a wet people's whistle out there to check out uh, Where Sleeping Dogs Lie out now, as you said, on the streaming uh, platforms. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll just uh, we'll, uh, call it a night. It's been a pleasure talking to you, sir. And uh, your next film, I'll look forward to seeing it, and uh, maybe we get a chance to talk again. Oh, that would be awesome, and I really appreciate everything awesome. you've done, and, and oh. really happy you enjoyed the movie. You bet, yeah. Uh, it's it, I always like these when doing indie films, uh, the surprise films that you watch them. And you're like, oh, this is decent, and then you get one that kind of like, wow, this this you know this one really struck me because of the genre and stuff it was in. So uh, yeah, I hope it has continued success. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, well, uh, yeah. And so, folks, we're going to end it here. Check it out. I'll put links in the uh, page for this interview uh, on our website uh, where you can find more out about it. And so we'll just say uh, good night, everyone. <laughs>